five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Flame, the hottest podcast on the internet. Wow. Uh, an explosive scene from the uh, 1966 movie Blow Up by Antonioni. And uh, that was the Yardbirds with Jeff Beck. The late Jeff Beck um, on guitar. Jimmy Page was in there, too. It's a really interesting scene, aside from the fact that um, it features Jeff Beck destroying his guitar. So if if you're listening on the podcast side of things, um, I just played Train Kept a Rolling from The Yardbirds, which was featured in the, the film Blow Up. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's one of the first movies that includes a song like that embedded as a live performance in the movie. You had the Beatles records, but those, the Beatles records, the Beatles music, like you had the help in a hard day's night but but those movies were explicitly about the beatles right i'm trying to think of other other films prior to 1966 i mean maybe there's some movies where um bill haley and the comets show up or but there's something about that particular scene in blow up which sets it apart from any other movie before it and any other movie after it. And part of that scene is Jeff Beck literally blowing up his guitar. It, and it's a, it's a weirdly symbolic scene too, because shortly thereafter, Beck would actually leave the Yardbirds and Jimmy Page, his longtime buddy and childhood friend would take over and become the, the lead player for the Yardbirds for a brief period of time until, of course, he would start Led Zeppelin. And Led Zeppelin was originally going to be called the New Yardbirds. But I think they chose the right name. So just from a, like a passing of the torch scene, Beck destroying his guitar, like, I'm done. And then he goes off and spins off and begins to have um, his really, really long and eclectic and varied solo career. Uh, the scene itself is also really weird. Like David Hemmings, who 
please. By the way, if you've never seen Blow Up, it's a really interesting movie. And there is the hint of murder and conspiracy in the background. Because David Hemmings is a photographer and um, he's, he's essentially capturing all these things that are happening um, in and around London during this time. And, you know, that was a really incredible period for London. Everything was swinging, right? It was all swinging and they had fashion and they had music and they had, you know, all these great actors who are really emerging onto the scene at that time. You know, people like Michael Caine and Sean Connery and Oliver Reed. I mean, it was really kind of a, 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 a real sort of crescendo for essentially a, a bunch of kids that grew up either very young during the war or just after the war and had the um, ability to kind of get an art school education. That's what was really interesting about post-war England. They put a heavy emphasis on the arts. So you had a lot of these musicians who came through art school, whether it's music or design, um, painting. That's what Bowie's trajectory was. But they don't, it's, it's really funny. It's like they don't send their kids to some kind of uh, mechanical vocational or uh, business oriented program, art school. So what does it create? It creates a lot of actors, a lot of writers, a lot of painters, and a lot of rock and rollers. It's a very interesting incubation uh, post-World War II England. And then Hemings walks into that scene and everybody is catatonic. I mean, here you have this band on stage just killing it. And everybody is just zombified. And I think Antonioni is making a bit of a statement there. That the youth are hypnotized. They're entranced by the culture itself. Little would we know, or did we know then, if you were around then and watched that movie, that 40 years out, 50 years out, looking back on what was going on in the 60s with MK Ultra and Tavistock, in a lot of ways, that movie is telling you what's going on. An entire generation is put in a trance. And then they don't break out of their trance until Jeff Beck destroys his guitar. And then that sends them into an absolute frenzy. And it's not just the breaking of the guitar. They're still in a bit of a trance. It's when he throws the neck of the broken guitar into the audience. And that's when they snap out of their trance and they're all pouncing on the 
broken neck of the guitar like it's a meat it's a bone with meat and they've been starving for two or three weeks and the race to the guitar neck is fraught with intensity and peril <laughs> and who comes up with the neck of the guitar it's david hemmings the photographer and it also reminds me a little bit of the cult of relics which um started up after the uh, crucifixion and you had essentially people like the Knights Templar going to Jerusalem to try to find things like the Spear of Longinus, uh, the Grail Cup, which received the, the, the Holy Blood of Christ, anything that was related to the crucifixion or this, any, any, um, any, any attachment and any, any, any piece that is either real or symbolic of the life of Christ. It's all of those things are in high demand. And so when they would go to the Middle East, or when they when they would go to uh, Jerusalem, it would be like everybody had a version of a piece of wood from the cross, or everybody had a version of uh, a cloth, a piece of cloth that uh, Jesus wore, right? even if they were counterfeit, right? And then they would bring those things back to Europe. And the cult of relics became the uh, the seedbed for the modern museum. And so there, you know, that, that guitar neck almost takes on that same significance as the Spear of Longinus or the cross itself. And people are in a frenzy to grab it. It's also, you know, symbolic of the broken phallus, right? And or just the phallus itself that's broken off from the feminine because the, the bottom part of the guitar is feminine, it's rounded, it's curved. And then you have the neck, which is masculine, and so you have the, the, the neck being broken off the masculine from the feminine, and the neck as the masculine symbol, right, gets flung into the audience. And that is the thing that sends them into just a, an absolute frenzy it's power they want to grab onto the neck of that guitar because it is that thing that is going to snap them out of their trance or give them uh, a sense of power just like the spirit destiny it's a really interesting scene and then Hemmings comes up with it and manages to run out of the club with all of these Stark raving mad mods chasing after him. And then he exits the club, hits the street, and then he tosses the neck aside. It's a really interesting scene. So many levels. And of course, Jeff Beck being the pretty much the focal point of that scene. 
And I was quite sad to hear that Jeff Beck had passed yesterday because I've always loved his music. When Jimi Hendrix uh, came to London, he really shook all the players. Like, I think Jimi Hendrix really did a number on Eric Clapton. Really did a number on him. Um, who else did he really? Anybody, Pete Townsend. He did a number on Pete Townsend. You know, all these young, up-and-coming guitar heroes. Once Hendrix came to town, <laughs> I could make some allusions to... Uh, uh, anatomical uh, disparities between these uh, guitarists that would kind of color this in a way that you might understand it. Let's just say they had guitar neck envy. Jeff Beck was kind of on the fence, you know. He was definitely... Um, impacted by Hendrix's playing like like everybody else although and at that time Beck was considered probably to be the best guitarist in England and prior to Hendrix maybe the world and Hendrix even shook Beck a little bit I don't think the the tectonic arrival of Jimi Hendrix. Um, I don't think Jeff Beck was able to escape the tectonic arrival of Hendrix on the London scene. The one guy that seems to be at Hendrix's level and not have their ego <laughs> shattered is John McLaughlin, who is on the scene. If you don't know who John McLaughlin is, he's the guitarist for the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And he actually, um, Jimmy Page was kind of studied a little bit under John McLaughlin. And John McLaughlin was a really good jazz guitarist, but he was also a session musician, like a lot of these guys were in England. And um, they would play on all these different records. Like they would play on, on a Petula Clark record or a Cliff Richard record, whoever they would say, Hey, can you make your guitar sound like Carl Perkins? Can you make your guitar sound like Chuck Berry? Um, can you make your guitar sound like, you know, fill in the blank, Dwayne Eddy? And um, they did that one day with John McLaughlin. He says, mm, No, I don't do that. However, I do know somebody who'd be very good at that. His name is Jimmy Page. And that's where Jimmy Page really cut his teeth. And Jimmy Page and, and, of course, Jeff Beck were buddies. They grew up together. They they swapped records. They played guitar. And eventually, uh, they wind up being in the same band, the Yardbirds, for a brief period of time. I really uh, found my connection with Jeff Beck. Like, I knew his other records um beck bogert apiece uh the jeff beck group with rod store i mean those are good records beck's bolero really great stuff but when beck steps out into the fusion world 
man, that was, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to um, Wired and uh, Blow by Blow and subsequent records. For me, that's when Jeff Beck really gets to display his virtuosity with players that can match him um, in a way that, not that the rock guys weren't good players, because they were, but he was playing with people that had different training, different background, exploring different idioms. And um, so for the last couple of weeks, um, I've been, I've been having some records on rotation. See, I, my, my car is old school. I've got a six CD CD changer in there. I don't play Bluetooth in my car, which is a little inconvenient at times, but one of the CDs I've had in there and I put it in there about two weeks ago is there and back by Jeff Beck. And I, and I've been re-listing a record and it is so good. Like Jan Hammer is tremendous on that record. I love that record because of the interplay between the synthesizer and the guitar. And, and I, and when he passed yesterday, I thought about the, the symbolism of there and back, right? Jeff Beck was there, meaning here, and now he's back. I think it's unfortunate. It's always unfortunate when somebody passes away and they're iconic. And, and Beck, for me, was always a purist at heart. If a band, uh, he uh, like he was touring uh, in the States with the Yardbirds. And at one point, he just got off the bus. He said, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm out of here. And that's really how he left the band. And he uh, went back to England and started working on cars. He was a big car guy, loved cars. And he, and he was he was he was a grease monkey. He would rebuild engines. He would tear cars apart, put them back together again. Really interesting person, really interesting character. He was a purist in that way. If he didn't like something, he'd move on. And he would do, he would do something different. Um, so when he, when, you know, when somebody like that, who has a pretty high degree of standards and are in execution, you know, when they, when they pass away, we're, we're really losing somebody. I mean, we're, and we're, we'll never see another Jeff Beck again. I mean, just as these people are going to transit transition, uh, these people are irreplaceable. And there may be really good young guitarists. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are plenty out there, right? But as a as a persona, there's really only one Jeff Beck. Now, how he passed away is rather um, interesting bacterial meningitis by the way he was on tour with johnny depp and the two of them appeared on stage at the queen's was it the jubilee just before she passed away 
so he he was on tour with the uh, that's dark man johnny depp is just dark he's johnny darko and the reason i'm bringing up the bacterial meningitis piece is i think that's part of the playbook moving forward is that they're going to move the whole COVID thing out of the virus world and into the bacterial world. So keep your eye on that. Keep your eye on the changing discussion and nomenclature around COVID. And, you know, there, there are things called macrophages, which allow them to or uh, morph, right? They're, I guess a pleomorph is probably more the accurate term, where they're actually able to shapeshift and go from being a virus to a bacteria. Now, some people say viruses don't exist. But there is something, right? There is something that forces our body, whether it's an exosome, um, whether, you're, whether you're expunging uh, toxins, or there is something that causes our body to do things that our body is either uh, trying to ignite and um, process all the way through, or it, it is overwhelming our body and our body cannot handle the overwhelm. So that could be an immune crisis. It could be a re it could be cancer a reanimation of cancer. So just Keep your eye on the narrative. Bacterial meningitis. And apparently, I had meningitis as a kid. I had spinal meningitis. Um, but apparently, and I was very young, so I, I can't really remember how it made me feel. I was uh, 18 months old. But apparently, the headache from uh, bacterial meningitis is excruciating. So Jeff Beck's um, final hours were probably very painful. And maybe he was sedated, which might have helped. But He was there, and now he's back. And uh, a great, great, great talent. A giant on guitar. That's all I have to say about Jeff Beck. And his integrity. I think it was just all the way up until the end when we started playing with Johnny Depp. All right. So behind me, you see that? Well, you can if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, that is the International Hotel in Davos. And what's really interesting is that I've been thinking about this too, with because we're gonna we're gonna go back into some of the attendees there, and I found a more detailed list, and it's kind it's kind of alarming actually. Who's going there from the U.S.? We'll get into that. But when you look at Davos, first of all, it's the highest point in Switzerland, which means I believe it's the highest point in Europe, which I talked about yesterday, where they actually have, like, like if you got to the top of the Matterhorn, probably higher, right? But you're not going to be putting the Mothership Hotel 
on the top of the Matterhorn. Uh, maybe inside the Matterhorn, but not on the top. Um, so th- just think about this for a minute, right? You're, you're invited to attend this thing. And you're there rubbing elbows with the elite of the elite. And you're in this winter wonderland. And it's all so magical. And the quaint little village of Davos, untouched, unsullied by progress in all the collateral damage that progress brings with it. There's a sense of purity in the air. The exaltation of the human reaching the heights of technology, philosophy, and reason. And then all of a sudden, this is where you're staying. The Mothership Hotel, towering over the tiny little village of Davos. And now you really feel special. It's all about the set and the setting. All right. um, Let's get into, I can't go to Chris's site today. Because it's still... uh, being worked on. So I'm just going to give you a visual of true hemp science. You can't see it, but this is, this is my coffee cup. And inside my coffee cup, I have some cold super coffee from this morning. And inside the cold super coffee is the moon dust. I don't start a day without moon dust. The CBGA, great stuff. It's, it's part of my morning rocket fuel. I have one cup of coffee with some of that moon dust in there. And, you know, I'm up in Adam. I'm perky. Last night, again, took my gummy and just got to time it a half an hour. Half an hour before you want your head to hit that pillow. You get, you get the gummy into your system, let it do its magic, and then, boom. I have a few other things I add to my nighttime regimen, um, which I've talked about before. I do take a, a caplet of gold kratom, which allows me to wake up with not a lot of pain in my body. I, I worked out yesterday. It's helpful. By the way, I'm going to drop my gym membership. I went to the gym. It was so fucking crowded. It was so crowded. And I, I go to a anytime gym. It's one of these gyms that's available anytime you want. The only problem is, is that the time that I want it, everybody else wants it. And it's the first of the year and people will, will drop off like flies as the year progresses. But I'm going to drop my gym membership. Anyway, uh, the gummy helped me, you know, after a long day of working with people and you know, processing information and the gummy just helps me relax and just really, you know, kind of glide into sleep. And of course, there's other products there as well. And uh, there's a number of different varieties of CBD that that are water-soluble, alcohol-based, spagyrics, topicals. So if you're interested, go check out truehemscience.com forward slash ref forward slash 23, truehemscience.com forward slash ref 
forward slash 23, get a hundred dollars a product and you're going to get free goodies. And just type in one five M I N S one five M I N S and Chris will automatically know you're coming from here and he'll, uh, He'll put a he'll put a a little more weight into your package. Let's put it that way, and uh, one hundred fifty dollars and more, uh, and you get free shipping. All right. So what is happening with the uh, Chatarians? Who do we have? DJ Miguel. Good morning, Catherine Kramer. We got a Capricorn sighting. What's going on, Double K? Uh, TJ, another Capricorn. Morning, Thomas. Double B, Beth Berry. She's here, Hucklebuck411. Mary Lee, caught Mary Lee over on Astro Weather. Now she's over here. Good to see you. Thor at the door. There's my man, El Steve Arino. Sony is here. Isn't Sony a Capricorn too? I think she is. We're a little Capricorn heavy in this crowd. Queen Lisa checking in. Morning. Um, let's see. Bot not. I'm a bloody quadrophenic. <laughs> I actually like the quadrophenia record. I'm not a big Who fan, but Can You See the Real Me is a great song. Love it. Sometimes you just can't deny great music, no matter who. Uh, he destroyed a lot of guitars, was asked to leave the group because of it. He certainly did a number there, didn't he? Most Ricky Tick and B Sick. That was the name of the club, wasn't it? The Ricky Tick Club. Neo the Wise, happy Thursday. Hang on tight to the chariot. Mars moves forward today. Yeehaw, giddy up. Kelly B. Caught Kelly B. over on Astro Weather. Good morning, Kelly. Kabuki Theater. Good morning, Bo. Good to see you. Carrie Prasad. Well, hello, Carrie. What a great guitarist and showman. Oh, yeah, he was. He was in a league of his own. Pinko. Am I are we tracking the green comet? Isn't it interesting? The comet, the uh, the cleanser is green. Ajax is blue. The green comet. Brands here. Great to see you. Welcome back to the fold. Fantastic. Uh, SP Dimples checking in. London. London calling. The Amtrak train story arrived 37 hours late. A little Mars retrograde there, huh? Mercury retrograde. What did we say yesterday? They're going to complain about all these antiquated systems. They're going to shut them down and they're going to reboot them. And when they reboot them, the price of admission will have changed. Mark M., what's going on? My astrological brother from another mother. Good to see you. 
Ever since I saw the day of the Triffids, I have no desire to watch comments. I actually read the book too, the day of the Triffids. I read the book and I watched the movie. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Nate Snooks jumping in from the Astro Weather Zone. Good to see you, Nate. Welcome. Um, Jeff Beck, one of the most skilled and admired influential guitarists in rock history. Yes, indeed. Bacterial meningitis. Watch the comments. Comments are harbingers of doom, by the way. Back in the day, they were associated with dragons soaring across the sky. Flames coming off their wings. People used to make as much noise as possible during the time of a comet. They would bang pots and pans and drums to scare the celestial beast away. Let's see. Cancer Leo Cuspers, watch out. Let's see who else. Wired is amazing. Yeah, the Wired record. Wired. I, I actually like Wired better than Blow by Blow. Although Freeway Jam is a total jam. Uh, who else do we have? Lizzo. Yeah. Jeff Beck to Lizzo. What a letdown, huh? Uh, let's see. David has predicted the next plague will be bacterial. It'll be the same plague. They're just going to change the name. They're just going to rebrand it. I would say that what we call virus is nothing of the sort. You know, Christine, that's why uh, kind of a disclaimer when I started to mention it, right? I, I think pleomorph and macrophage are probably closer to the point. Just read that the large intestine is the second lung. Interesting. That's good Virgo knowledge. Uh, let's see. Who else? You guys are so smart. Look at Tom putting up the number 512-265-6162. That's 512-265. 6162. If you want to phone your number into True Him Science, tell him he came from 15 minutes of flame. He get the goodies. That gym crowd will be gone in two weeks. That's what the gym is hoping for. The gym is the best business model on the planet. The membership model. The membership model of the gym pioneered everything in terms of membership models. You get the membership, and how often do you use it? I know. I actually have a, a, a bench and some other things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use them here. I'm, I'm going to use them here. So I noticed some interesting trends yesterday. I mean, I'm, maybe they're not trends, but I was noticing things in sets yesterday. You ever have one of those days where it's like all of a sudden everything kind of turns up 
like in kind of one macro um, manifestation. Yesterday was it was tattoos at the gym. I had two of them yesterday. Tattoos at the gym. I'm like, holy shit. Everybody's got a fucking tattoo here. I, I've noticed there were tattoos at the gym before, but not to the extent that there were yesterday. I'm like, look at all these tattoos. And on some people, tattoos look okay. On other people, you should have skipped the tattoo. Just saying. Whether it's the tattoo or whether it is the non-strategic placement of said tattoo, you, you might have wanted to rethink that. But then I went to I went to uh, HEB and I pull into my parking spot and then I, I see this woman, probably about five five, maybe five six, uh, blonde hair, dressed. Um, I would say fashionably. But not quite hill country attire, right? Like looking like somebody who's probably not from here. And then I saw another blonde woman. And by the way, these women were not together. They were all going to separate cars. And the cars were kind of similar too. And... they looked and felt the same it was it was really weird it, it was very strange it was it was kind of like i was in a game and these three characters showed up that if you put them all together all three of them together and said that they were either sisters or you know related like cousins people wouldn't question it it was really weird it was one of those moments where hmm, this is feeling really matrixy right really really matrixy so it was from the gym tattoo city to heb um Three blondes. And then I, I came to the conclusion that the reason why they looked like that and had a similar vibe is that my sense was that they're not from here. Again, they weren't together. They weren't walking in a group. They kind of came out staggered over about a two-minute period. Feels like people that have moved and maybe they're visiting i don't know we saw laura logan uh on new year's eve at heb she's very popular very very popular and she knows when people are looking at her quite frankly she she dresses to be noticed as well 
if you know what I'm saying. All right. And she's not quite in that category, but close. She lives here now. Um, let's, let's get into Davos. Because I found an updated list here. And it's disturbing. Ain't going to lie. It's disturbing. So we have uh, Zach Goldsmith right at the top, part of the uh, Goldsmith family, related, of course, to the uh, Rothschilds. Lord Mayor, City of London, Nicholas Lyons. Rachel Reeves, Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. Now, there's a title for you. Richard Moore. Chief Secret Intelligence Service, MI6. Tony Blair. So the crown is on top. And right below the crown, John Kerry, Catherine Tai, United States Trade Representative. Martin J. Walsh, Secretary of Labor, United States. Samantha Power, Administrator, U.S. Agency for International Development. She goes all the way back to the uh, Obama administration. And um, very influential in operations like Libya. Uh, Avril Haines, the current U.S. Director of National Intelligence. Christopher Wray, Director, Federal Bureau of Investigation. So right there, we have the Director of National Intelligence and the, and the Director of the FBI attending Davos. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Brian Kemp, Governor of the State of Georgia, a Davos attendee. Christopher Coons, Senator from Delaware, you know that guy? He looks like a Christopher Coons. He's the guy uh, who, when he was uh, sworn in by Biden as vice president, he's got that young girl with red hair, and Biden is kind of whispering into her ear, is he massaging her nipple or something? And, you know, Coons is not only oblivious, but, but I'm sure he'd be happy to uh, make some arrangements, if you know what I'm saying. Daryl Issa, the conservative Republican congressman from California, he's there, Issa, Issa. Uh, Gregory W. Meeks. So we have a Dem we have a Republican, Brian Kemp. Even though governors aren't theoretically supposed to be affiliated, he is a Republican. Coons is a Democrat. Uh, Issa Issa, Republican. Gregory Meeks, Democrat. He's a congressman from uh, New York. 
And then right below him, you have Gretchen Whitler, governor, Michigan. Right below her, you have the man who's never missed a meal in his life, J.B. Pritzker, governor, Illinois. Right underneath him, James Risch, that's R-I-S-C-H, Senator, Idaho, Republican. Right below him, Joe Manchin, Senator, West Virginia, Democrat. So this is a, a bipartisan entourage headed towards Davos. Right below him, you have, speaking of shapeshifters, Kristen Cinema, who is now an independent because she can cast a deciding vote. The independent from Arizona, I wonder if she's going to bring her Hello Kitty backpack with her to Davos. Uh, Maria Cantwell, Senator Washington, Democrat. Maria Elvira Salazar, Congresswoman, Florida, Republican. Mike Gallagher, Congressman, Wisconsin, 8th District, House of Representatives, Republican. Mike Sherrill, Nikki Sherrill, my bad. Congresswoman from New Jersey, Democrat. Seth Moulton, Congressman, Massachusetts, Democrat. Now, this is all listed alphabetically because you go from the UK to the USA to Vietnam to Zambia and Zimbabwe. Look at that. Now, these are people that are related to governmental agencies or represent the government directly because they have people from other fields, obviously. Technology, finance, the sciences. I've never seen, and I could be just not paying attention, and I've, I've seen numerous rosters of Davos attendees. I've never seen this many people engaged in the business of representing the people through governmental agencies, right? Whether it's a congressperson, a senator, or a governor at Davos. I've never seen this before. This is significant. And again, this is a bipartisan um, coterie of attendees which really says this is just a uniparty. There's no, there's no Democrats and there's no Republicans. This is just a uniparty. So what's going on here, right? What is, what is going on? And I was looking at astrologically. I talked a little bit about it on the show today, uh, the astro weather. And 
the the alignments for for Davos in 2023 are really interesting just from an astrological perspective because you have the sun conjuncting Pluto in Capricorn and then right at the end I believe it's either at um, the anoretic degree of Capricorn or the sun moves into, it ends on the 20th and it moves into Aquarius. So that in and of itself is really interesting, but think about the aggregation of power under one roof for that period of time with the sun conjunct Pluto at the final degrees of Capricorn. Pretty significant. I mean, th this would be the meeting where they're gonna they're they're putting the plan to play. They're gonna put the plan is already in place, but they're getting their marching orders. But this is gonna be a top-down instruction instructional manual. For these people and even with mercury and i think mercury goes but direct on the 15th right and the meeting starts on the 16th but it's still far enough behind the sun where all those communications and all that planning is occulted it's hidden so every year whatever happens in davos whether you um believe in the power and the agency of you know these ngos to impact our lives in ways that are um, not always the most beneficial during this alignment this is kind of a big deal and you know my my feeling about 2023 is that 2023 is this bridge year it's the third year in the cycle where they shut everything down. And the number three is pretty significant. Who wore number three? Damar Hamlin. The number three has been showing up everywhere, right? So this is the third year of the theoretical COVID cycle, which for us uh, began in this country on 311. That's when they shut down the NBA season. So we're coming up to that that three-year uh, kind of goalpost in a lot of ways. Well, we are, period. So there's something about three that represents completion. So we're in this bridge year from what started in 2020 and then this new chapter, this new reality, uh, the, the new terms and conditions that are awaiting humanity in 2024. And we'll get this, you know, this weird flux between the world that we've been in and the world that's coming. So let's just kind of take a, a quick, uh, inventory on 
what is currently happening. We're having all these breakdowns in terms of systems and travel. And I know people are talking about the X-class solar flare and maybe that's affecting things. You know, I'm that could be true, but I'm pretty pragmatic in that, again, these systems were set up by people who are around my age and to some in in some cases a bit older you know a lot of the programmers who built these systems you know were born in pluto and virgo starting around 1957 right and these people are retiring so whether it's southwest or whether it's the faa or whether it's um amtrak or the trains we're seeing the breakdown of these systems. And sure, the, the astrology reflects that. Mercury retrograde, Capricorn, Mars retrograde, travel, Gemini. And right at that moment where Mars is stationed and getting ready to go direct, that's all there, right? And they're running out of the people to keep these systems going. And I And this is part of the story. This is part of the story because that's what's going to come out of Davos. They're, they're going to tell people because that's going to be the theme, right? A world in crisis, um, a, a world fragmented and Davos's job and their social engineers are going to be tasked with putting the world back together, building back better because they need to tear it down. And what we're seeing here is the beginning of the narrative to tear it all down. So I would not be surprised at all if these systems go offline. Period. They could, you know, they, they could fake it, EMP it, or they could just shut it down. So, you know, this is antiquated. Do you see all the problems we've had? Well, now we have to we have to build something new. But it won't just be one thing. It'll be all be interconnected. It'll all be interconnected. You won't just have like a new system um, that the FAA can use to track planes, people. No, it'll be connected to an entire system that's set up that is interconnected that's where all this is headed and so 2023 is the bridge year and we'll get moments of the old and we'll see um images and glimpses of the new especially with pluto and aquarius coming up here uh in march that's gonna be really interesting for a brief period a brief window well, it's it's almost like here you go, here's the future, and you're like, no, I can't see it, I cannot see it, right? And then all of a sudden, okay, let's watch March Madness. Um, but that's coming, right? And this is where we are. This is where we are now. And so when we see these people. It's disturbing. These are theoretically our representatives. 
and they're going to Davos to take their marching orders. Nobody from Texas. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, there was somebody from Texas because they're all, they're all sellouts. You know, what's really interesting is, um, you know, all the things that Ron Paul talked about in uh, 2008. That's what everybody wants now. You know, and at that time, Ron Paul had moved from being a libertarian to a Republican. And, you know, the problem I have, I have two problems with the libertarians. Um, one is no borders. They're like, nah. Because it might be good for, I, I, I mean, Let's say as a libertarian president, yeah, okay, strict, hardcore libertarian philosophy, no borders, come on in. Do you think Mexico is going to be libertarian? No. Do you think Canada is going to be libertarian? No. So the only way that works is one way. We already kind of have that. See how, see how that's working? So I'm not down with the no borders thing. I'm also... Not and I've talked about this. I'm not down with legalize all drugs. I, I don't think that's a path. I used to. I used to think that that was a path. When I was younger, I thought that was a path. I don't think that's a path anymore. I would say that the punitive measure for drugs needs to be reexamined. Like, I think there should be theoretically two standards for somebody who winds up being a user or somebody who winds up being a dealer. Maybe sometimes they're the same. They do cross over. But putting somebody in jail for smoking weed, I think it's a little heavy. But I don't think legalizing weed is the answer either. Decriminalizing it, let, I've said this before, Letting people grow it, I'm good with that. Be responsible. Grow your own. Have a relationship with the plant. The other stuff, a little bit, little bit of a different story. So I kind of break ranks on um, the border thing, the free drug thing, um, and free trade. I don't We've seen a version of free trade. How'd it work out? Not so good. The free traders rolled up their sleeves and said, bye-bye American pie. And uh, hello, uh, shrimp pancake. That's exactly what happened. Hello, Egg Fu Young. So that work didn't work out too well. Other than that, I like the libertarians. Other than that, their policies on war and government spending and even the involvement of government in general, I think are good policies. And that's what Ron Paul was talking about in 2008. And people laughed at him. They derided him. They dismissed him. 
you had people like Tucker Carlson making fun of him, Newt Gingrich making fun of him. He was marginalized during the debate process. And let's face it, uh, Ron Paul, who, by the way, is a Mason, uh, in spite of all of his brilliant comprehension around the failure of American foreign policy, around the absolute domination of the military-industrial complex, of the keen awareness of the dangers of the Federal Reserve. He did not look presidential. And that is a problem. You have to look the part. You don't get elected. Now, in you know the, the post-television world, now the social media and multimedia world, you don't get elected unless you look presidential. Now, that may change. Someday Lizzo may be president. And maybe that's going to be the, 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 the vision of what being presidential looks like. That'll be the image. But even Biden, you know, Biden, whoever this creature is, and whoever's playing, he looks like, he looks like the grandfatherly and sylvan presidential figure, right? They, you went from Trump being the, you know, the, uh, the bad father, the father that says no, to Joe Biden, who's the grandfather, who says, would you like to go out for some ice cream? You think that was all? I think the ice cream thing might have happened after he got elected, but that's implied, right? Hey, would you like to go out with grandpa and get a couple of scoops? That's what they were selling with Joe Biden. Oh, we've had enough of the tough daddy. He's mean. Let's go to grandpa's. Grandpa always takes us out for ice cream. Grandpa's indulgent. Grandparents are supposed to be indulgent. When my father was alive, I always resented when he tried to play parent with my kid. It's like, come on, man. Take him out for ice cream. You don't have to do that now. I got this. Life is weird sometimes. It is just, it is just weird. When I was a kid, my father made this go-kart for me. I told you this story before. He made this go-kart for me. And... um I was about four years old and the engine wasn't working, but we took it up on this hill where we were living and I'm rolling down the hill. And for some reason, I just decided that I'm going to steer the go-kart right into this brick wall. And that's what I did. I wanted to see what it'd be like to steer the fucking go-kart into a brick wall. And you know, when you're young, you have these events in your life and you look back and then you go, Oh Yeah. And I look back in that event and I had this, you know, 
epiphany a long time ago, that that would represent my penchant for self-destruction. To drive that go-kart straight in that brick wall to see what would happen. I got hurt. I was bleeding. Fucked up the go heart, Got fixed, but... So then my father decides he's going to build a go-kart for my kid. What does he do? He doesn't drive it into a brick wall, but he runs it into a curb. I don't think he did it on purpose, but he runs into a curb, and guess what happens? Breaks the axle. Just like when I was a kid. Just right around his age. Like, how weird is life, right? It's weird. Boy, was my was my father pissed. He's like, not again. Uh, you can't script this stuff. This is weird. So we're in the bridge here. And um, we're just going to see more and more and more of this thing that's going to trickle out. The latest, of course, is, um, ooh, gas stoves are bad for you. Who's pushing that narrative? California State Senator Scott Weiner, who is a minor attractive person. I mean, look, at some point, ladies and gentlemen, it's all there. It is all there. It, this is all South Node and Scorpio shit. It's all, they're showing you everything. Everything. We want to take away your relationship to propane, Saturn and Pisces. We're going to give you a gas stove, an electric stove, put you on the grid. So when the new system resets and reboots, we're watching. We're watching how long you're cooking. How much you're using that... Uh, electric stove of yours because before you had that gas stove we really couldn't monitor that you know i've been watching these uh Asha logos videos about the french revolution horrible absolutely horrible the french revolution in semi-modern history in our time scale, the late 1700s. When you dive into the details of the French Revolution, um, they're blood curdling. What they did to the landed families of France was nothing short of horrific. The amount of lives that were lost, and not just the amount of lives, but how, how they were lost. The barbarity, the cruelty. And what's really interesting is Asha Logos gets into the mechanisms uh, behind 
the uprising of the public. And one of the things that um, the Montagnards, right? These were the people that wanted to toss the king and the queen and everybody else that had any connection to them, you know, out of their palace and um, into unmarked graves. One of the things that they used was satire. Scathing satire. Pamphlets. Illustrations. Columns in uh, newspapers. And the satire was employed, or deployed rather, to desensitize people. And to get them to hate the aristocracy. Where have we seen that? Trump. They use satire, whether it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel or uh, John Oliver or any of these. Uh, uh, late night comedy clowns the orange man bad and even making up stories the steel dossier i mean these are the things that were were used during the russian revolution i'm sorry they've used it during the russian revolution too it's a, it's a playbook but they use it during the french revolution and they whip the masses up into a frenzy with a daily bombardment of theoretically satirical skewering of the aristocracy. Now, so maybe some people will say, well, good. We don't need no fucking kings and queens, right? But I think there's a difference between what we perceive now as theoretical kings and queens versus other versions. Like when you look at the aristocracy of France, it's really coming out of the line of Charlemagne, who is one of the most remarkable figures in Europe. And the whole idea is that if they lived within the divine right, divine rule, divine principle, and answered only to God, and this is the Confucian model, by the way, then everything would trickle down and that there would be an order, right? A palpable order that wasn't just about monarchical rule, but was, but also encapsulated some type of religious or spiritual doctrine. Now, of course, people are fall fallible. Louis the Fourteenth was sold out by his cousin, who thought he he could somehow, you know, become the ruler of France. Well, he had a rude awakening. So people aren't perfect, and. Yet, the, 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 the flames 
of insurrection and revolution were fanned. So that the banking class could come in and take over. And that's exactly what happened. They eliminated their competition. And when you look at the architects of the, I'm going to do a show on this on Sunday night, by the way. It's going to be a big part of my Sunday night show. When you look at the architects of the French Revolution, they're all horrible people. None of them have any virtuous attributes whatsoever. And in fact, whether it's their uh, their, their physical deformations or their, their moral um, degeneracy, they're linked together. And it's those things that are fueling the revolution. These are deeply imperfect, deeply flawed people whose deep imperfections and flaws are fueling their animus. So if Robespierre was five foot three, and no offense to people who are perhaps not as tall in stature than others, clearly uh, it mattered to him. He wore lifts. Robespierre is five foot three. Danton, who is the the voice of the firebrand, face disfigured, got caught up with it uh, with a, in a tangle with some pigs when he was a kid. He's got this disfigured face. Right, every time he looks into a mirror, he sees this, you know, kind of grotesquerie staring back at him. And then you have. Uh, Jean-Paul Marat, who is the devil. He's the devil incarnate. And when you look at him, he, he looks odd. He's got big bulging eyes. And, you know, you can tell he's insane. And he has all these creepy skin conditions. He has to take uh, these uh, medicinal baths all the time. So the revolution is fueled by deeply imperfect and flawed people who cannot make peace with the thing that does not allow them to function in their daily life without some degree of shame. And then you look at, you know, who's running the current revolution we're in. Let's take a look at them. Look, and I've talked about this before. Look at Yuval Noah Harari. He's a freak. If we live solely in a world that didn't have the same kind of technology, that is a real leverage, by the way, for certain people, you take Yuval Noah Harari and transport him back 300 years, and he doesn't have a chance. Unless, of course, he's part of the banking system, in which case he might triumph. And the banking system was an early application of technology. 
it was this synthetic thing that was deployed on people. I mean, just look at them. They're all defect. Klaus Schwab, again, I apologize. I don't mean to step on anybody's toes here. He's a short little fuck. Rishi Sunak's a short little fuck. He's got big ears. And he's an alien, right? Indian roots coming out of a caste system, and boom, he's in the West, so he's automatically different. And I'm not saying people have to be a cookie cutter or the same, but there are things that set people apart. So when we see these revolutionary movements, they're generally not being um, engineered and run by healthy people. They're not. There are people, there are people who are deeply deficient in some manner. Healthy people don't need to overthrow things so that the world, which couldn't which could operate on a holistic level, right? They, what they want to do is they want to turn the world into their own defective image. This is, this is the root of revolution. Sure, you have things like um, animus and the want and the need for more resources. But really, there are a lot of people who are, quote unquote, defective, who have accrued a lot of resources. So that's not really the solution to the, the God-sized void that these people have inside of them. That's not the solution. I mean, look how rich Bill Gates is. That's not enough. Somewhere deep in, deep down inside Bill Gates, he has, um, whoever he is or whatever he is, you know, he the guy has a core that's defective. You don't see revolutions or revolutionary movements run by healthy people. They have no use for it. Healthy people have a healthy relationship with their surroundings. So what do they want to do? They want to make everybody sick. They want to make everybody sick and defective. Oh, gee, where have we, where have we seen that before? If you watch and pay attention to the roots of the French Revolution and everything that they employed in order to kickstart that thing, all those things are present now. They're all present now. And that's the other side of this, right? This is the other side of the systems collapse. And then the build back better. And one of the things that is apparent during the French Revolution, and they're successful. The French Revolution changes everything. From that moment forward, it changes everything. It changes Europe. 
and it changes the idea that you could actually do something like that. The problem with the French Revolution is that while they tore everything down, they didn't really have anything of merit to replace it. Even though Thomas Jefferson kind of wrote them up a little document saying, here, use this, right? Thanks, Jefferson. Um, they had nothing of merit to replace it. Nothing. So what, what they were good at was dis destruction. But they didn't have any spiritual principles outside of kind of a rabid secular humanism that would replace the system that they burned down. And that's where that's where Napoleon rises, right? He, it, it, you know, you can make a case in some ways that the rise of Napoleon and the rise of Hitler are very similar. The circumstances are a little bit different, but there's enough connecting dots to show that in times of crisis, in times of chaos, in times of you know systems being overthrown there's a period where somebody arises out of that that becomes a supposed leader, right? We're headed. We're headed in that direction. When we have Saturn and Neptune conjuncting in Aries, and that's going to be a big deal and a big time. And I think that that's when the means of production are seized. And that is when there is the rise of the tyrant or the, the rise of the apolophon during that time. These next three years are all about the groundwork for that. And this year is the bridge year. And Davos. This year is where the locals get their marching orders. You know, the more that I spend time looking at the world, the state it's in, the condition it's in, I don't, I try not to look back very much and regret certain things. But looking at this now, there's a part of me that wishes that I had been cleaner and more upright 20 years ago. Because now I understand the importance of that. Now I understand the, the it may sound really square, or L7, right? But I understand the importance of it. Because without that, look what's happened. And I would say even to some extent, my own um, abdication of my standards. Um, 
It's probably contributed to that to some degree. We all have, you know, a bit of a role. And again, do we really know better? The answer to that is probably not. Because it was the cool thing to do at times. All right. Moon and Virgo. Clean up your room. I'm out of here. Um, use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart two seconds possible. Thanks for being here today. I'll be back tomorrow. Astro weather in the morning, 12 noon, over on YouTube, quite frankly, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great conversation. Um, have a great day. Signing off.